be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. The sisters of Lazarus sent word to Jesus, saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him But Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise. Martha said, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who was coming into the world. He became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha The dead man's sister said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. 
But because of the crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. Now many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen what he had done began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My brothers and sisters, what a glorious story we have for this fifth Sunday of Lent, and how beautiful the wisdom of the church precisely to place this famous story of Lazarus, precisely as we're about to enter into the Holy of Holies, so to speak, in the liturgical year, as we were about to get ready for, for Holy Week. Hard to imagine, but next Sunday is already Palm Sunday. And we began the grand festivities of, of the beautiful rites of Holy Week. And this amazing story of, 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 of Lazarus being raised from the dead at the voice of Jesus. But before we can even penetrate the mysteries of this great ancient story, we must first understand what love is. So taking a step back. Why do we love love so much? What are the qualities of love? The qualities of all of our, all of our, all of our relationships, especially married love. Because what does love truly want? Now, I'm talking about authentic love, not, not, not fluffy love. Valentine's Day love, no. No, I'm not talking about fleeting love. I'm talking about authentic, fierce love. Powerful love. Love seeks the beloved, desires the other. Love seeks out. We have to remember that, the quality of love. Because as we see here in the beautiful gospel reading of Lazarus, that, I, that word love appears numerous times, doesn't it? I heard the gospel. When, when, when they went to Jesus, said, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. They said, Master, the one who you love is ill. And then down a few more lines, now Jesus loved Martha. Love, love, love is all throughout the gospel. So love seeks out the other. And notice the other quality of love. Love wants to give the best to the beloved. Doesn't it? That is why it's amazing. You know, one of the greatest privileges any priest has is when we do weddings. Oh, priests, we love weddings. Why? It's such a huge occasion because whether you're religious or not, 
we all intuitively know that weddings are a big deal. That is why the guys take a shower, right? <laughs> that is why the groomsmen look all sharp, right? Beautiful. They spend tons of money on those suits, and especially the women. All the women, it's, it's a whole day just to get ready for women. It's where they all get together in the room. They all put on their makeup, their hair, spend hours looking for their dresses. Oh, yeah. And, of course, that beautiful moment. I especially love it when, when, when uh, I notice this. It's hilarious. So during a wedding procession, as we also began the Holy Mass for a, a wedding rite, usually everyone is sitting down, right, as, as, as the wedding party marches in, the bridesmaids, the groomsmen, the parents of the bride. And all of a sudden, the tone shifts all of a sudden when who walks in? The bride. Even the, the music changes. The wedding march pounds. Doors fling open. And then the woman, the bride, began to procession in. It's always hilarious because I'm always standing next to the groom at any wedding. Every man that I've seen weeps. It's hilarious. I always have to whisper to him, hey, man up. Right? His lips quivering, tears going down his eyes. He's like, come on, man. But it's a beautiful thing. Why? Because his beloved is coming, isn't it? Beautiful people weeping all over the place. They don't care so much about the guy. They're like chopped liver at a wedding. Uh, but the ship and the focus is always on the bride and her beauty radiates. And we want nothing but the best for our beloved. I mean, that is why we look so spectacular. They deserve nothing but the best. And that is why that attention now shifts. Now go back to a wedding. Husband and wife. God willing, when they have beautiful children, ask any parent that. What do you want for your children? Say, I want nothing but the best for them. I want them to have more than what I had. You hear that kind of language all the time. Any parent will say that. Any good parent will say that. Why do you work countless hours? Why do you slave? Why do you wake up two in the morning to console a crying baby? when you have to get up at 5 in the morning just to go to work. Two hours of sleep, you get up and you go to work still. Why? Because you're providing for your family, because you want nothing but the best. Because love wants that. And one of the greatest pains now if we shift this reflection. What is the greatest pain then in regards to love? It is when we are separated from our loved ones. Because love by its very nature desires love, the beloved, therefore then the rejection of love, the separation cuts us deeper Even more so, what is more painful than to be rejected by love? Have you ever loved anybody 
that did not love you back. Ooh, that's a pain that goes very deeply. And yet we pursue, don't we? Relentlessly pursuing. That is why the power and the strangeness of this story of Lazarus really begins to shine. We began in the story of the gospel and said that Jesus hears that one that whom he loves, Lazarus, on whom he loves, says that Jesus, your loved one is sick. Now notice the next action of Jesus is utterly strange. Because if anybody here, we got a call from somebody, from, a, from the sheriff's department, from the police, said, hey, your spouse was just in an accident. They were in the hospital. What would your next action be? You drop everything, don't you? You rush to the hospital bed. You speed, you, you, you do anything to get to your loved one, right? Jesus doesn't do that here. It said that Jesus, Jesus, your, your loved one is ill. And then it says here, the, the detail, Jesus remained for two days in the place where he was. What? I thought you loved Lazarus, Jesus. Doesn't love compel you to go immediately? Ah, but he does not do that. He procrastinates. <laughs> Two days. And then is it any surprise that when finally Jesus arrives in that beautiful, sobering conversation, Martha says to Jesus, notice the pain now in her words. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, that makes the, the question of why Jesus stayed for two days in the place where he originally was, did not immediately go. Said, Lord, if you had arrived, if you didn't procrastinate for two days, the one whom you loved, my brother, would have been still alive. Why does Jesus wait? Let that question linger for a moment. As the story continues to unfold, we have a powerful line of scripture. It said that as Jesus now comes to the tomb of Lazarus, that he wept. And Jesus wept. My friends, this line in scripture is the shortest scripture verse in all of the Bible. Right here. And Jesus wept. The shortest scripture verse ever. So if anybody ever asks you what is the shortest scripture verse, and Jesus wept. Shortest one. But I dare say it is the most profound. You see, in all of Scripture, there's only three times Jesus Christ. Only three times. The first one was when Jesus was standing on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. The entire city of Jerusalem is before him on the Mount of Olives just across the, the Kidron Valley. And he's looking over the entire city, the holy city of Jerusalem. And he's standing there and it's said that Jesus 
began to weep over the city because they did not recognize his coming. The other time Jesus weeps was in the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll hear the story shortly in about a week. Our Lord now it says that he is in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane and hear the full weight of humanity of our darkness is thrust upon him. He weeps. And then the third one here, weeping at the tomb of his friend. Do you see the pattern here? There's a, there's a, a dark thread that ties those three instances of our Lord crying. There's a dark thread that combines them all and ties them all together. It's sin. Sin. Because what does sin do now, going back to our reflection of love? Sin separates the beloved from the lover. That's what sin is. Sin is just not innocent, inconsequential activity or action. No. Sin is a rupture of a loving relationship. Separated now. That's what sin is. So our Lord now is looking over the city of Jerusalem, coming to his beloved, but what does, his, what does the beloved do? Rejects him. to the point of death, the crucifixion. Jesus knows that. Jesus pursues the beloved relentlessly because of what love does. And he's pursuing and is pursuing and the lover, the beloved, rejects. We don't want you, Jesus. So he weeps. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when, it, when the full weight of human darkness is thrust upon him, all of our sin is before him. All of humanity is sin. Our Lord cries out. What does he do here now in, in front of the tomb of Lazarus? Because death is the result of sin. That's where death comes from. And death is Separation par excellence, isn't it? That's why death is so painful. Because our loved ones are gone. What caused that? Sin. Oh, but that is not the end of our story. Notice now as Jesus is weeping, who takes on the sin of humanity, confronts the greatest enemy that we have. Standing in front of the tomb now, notice this powerful encounter. Jesus is standing in front of the tomb, which is every single person's destiny, by the way. We all will be put in tombs. So in a way, Jesus, as he stands before Lazarus, I dare say, Jesus is standing before the tomb of humanity now. 
a humanity which hides in the tomb. You see, this language of being in the tomb, of, of being called out, is an echo of Genesis. If you recall back in Genesis, when sin and death enters the world for the very first time, the response of when sin enters is the tendency for Adam and Eve, and therefore all of us, Adam and Eve, like all of us do with our sins, when we're ashamed, what do we do? We hide. It said that when God was walking in the cool of the garden, and he calls out to his beloved children, where are you? They hide. They hide in their sin and in their shame, and they hide in their death. Ah, but God is love. God pursues. God will not stand even in the point of rejection. God still presses on. Why? Because that's what love does. Spit in my face as much as you want. I will not stop loving you. Reject me as much as you can. I will never leave you. So God pursues all the way to the very darkness of the tomb which we created ourselves. And like God did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now God is here in the Garden of the Tomb. And he says to Lazarus, and he says to all of humanity, Come out! Humanity, stop hiding! Humanity, I pursue you now. Come out of your death. Come out of your sin. I am here. All humanity hides. We hide so much. We hide in our tomb. We're, we're, we're so caught up in our own egos. Caught up in our own universes. All but their hollow tombs. All of the things that our lives are, are, are that, that we are addicted to. All of the stuff that we allow to get in, our, in the way of our relationship with God. All of that garbage will not give us life. God knows that. And so he pursues us now. Come out, humanity. My sons and daughters, come out. You have nothing to fear. That is why now our Lord waits two days. Because he said that he knew that the greatest gift that God could give, that Jesus could give Lazarus, was not simply physical healing, as amazing as that is. But rather, God wants to give us more than that. God wants to give us eternal life. The highest good. And that's why he procrastinates. 
Because the gift that our Lord lays out before humanity is himself. I am the resurrection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you.